Jared? Hey. What are you doing? Um, I'm, I, had to, I had to pick up some groceries real quick. Wow. You sure about that, dude? I'm not going to lie. I um, am not a stressful, anxious person. Uh-huh. But I am, like, really stressing hard right now. It's, just by I, going to the store or just in yes, general? Yeah. It's stressing me out, man. Just <laughs> like the six foot, like in a grocery store that's trying to maintain six feet when other people don't care. It's, anyway. Well, well, stay inside, Jaron. I know. I'm going back. I'm going to, I'm like, I feel like I'm like not really like letting myself breathe because I don't want to <laughs> breathe anything. <laughs> well, do me a favor um, before you leave. Yes. Would you uh, would you do the sponsors with me? Yeah, of course. Uh, so, um, musicbed.com. If you need to license some music, or you know, if you just want to listen, <laughs> put on the put on musicbed.com. Just as you're hanging around your house, making bread or whatever. Yeah, Jared. Real quick, let's just do an experiment. Um, okay. Just to see what happens. Um, go ahead and give me, um, like your mood and let's see what happens on music bed. Like, how are you feeling right now? You know, is there a category for like pandemic anxiety or anything <laughs> like that? <laughs> um, let me go through these words and you tell me the one that best describes your feelings. Angry, carefree, no. No, chill. Definitely not that. Um, I'm mostly chill, but not at this moment. Contemplative. Ecstatic? Um, eerie. Not ecstatic. <laughs> not. Uh, eerie? Yeah. Let's okay. do eerie and contemplative. See if anything comes okay. up for that. Any sort of genre you're, you're feeling? Is there like honky-tonk? <laughs> <laughs> um, let's play something by my good friend Jordan Kritz. feel more eerie and more contemplative so well done <laughs> if you want to uh, create some more of your own moods or figure out how to make yourself feel better uh, at these worrisome times go over to musicbed.com you can also license all of these songs to uh, put in your films uh, if you at checkout if you use coupon code good you'll get good. 20% off that g-o-o-d um, also, let's send some uh, some uh, well wishes to our friends at Film Supply, Jared. Um, yeah, love love to Film Supply and everyone there and, and that team. And I hope that um, they're busy. I hope they're able to kind of like you know be with their families and, and be safe. But also, I hope that they're busy. And I know they're probably uh, bridging a lot of gaps for different brands and agencies and stuff as as uh, physical like production is not possible so anyway if you have a need head over to film supply and um i think there's a we have a promo code for them as well yep if you put in coupon code good podcast at checkout you'll also get 20 percent off that purchase bam uh okay so you today this is this is one of those two like where this is before i was back in the picture but you talked with one of my favorite directors yovan we were at sync together and um both less think within like days of each other and uh i've had a few great conversations with Theo mom before great guy very i don't i don't know how he was i haven't listened to the interview but he's he's a very, very oh, he's silly, one of very a kind man. guy he's incredibly yeah. one of a kind um, <laughs> yeah so without further ado here is uh yeah i don't how do you say his last name uh, I think. Well, we got a we got a text from our sound mixer Christian number two about how we didn't say his name in the episode, and there was a reason because I was terrified of trying to say it uh, in front of him. <laughs> I actually so don't. I just, uh, just say, he just goes by Yovan. <laughs> just call him Yovan. All right. Here is my interview with Yovan. How did you find me? What is this? Good. I've heard of this before. <laughs> 
Um, you're just always someone that comes up in conversations of like, oh, have you seen this thing? This is crazy. That's usually what it, what happens. Well, then it's a compliment. You have a, a very specific sphere of music videos, you know? So like, it's almost a different world than commercials or features or whatever, you know? So, and correct me if I'm wrong, I'm just from what I gather, but your your commercial stuff even has this sort of music music video aesthetic as far as like the way that the camera moves or the 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 energy or the kinetic feeling of it you know is that nice is that to hear. it's nice to hear i don't know it's it's i used to say that i do commercials for money and music videos for experiment and films for love right but that's kind of incorrect because i can't even commercials i can't not do without putting my soul completely into it so i do it all for love and that's and that's kind of a thing that you have to deal with because on commercials you have to deal with all these other people and you're kind of prostituting yourself in many ways right. and 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 you're compromising and it's just very stressful inside your head if you decide to put your soul into it i always remember bill hicks when he he has that famous sketch about uh he asks this are there any advertising people in the audience mm-hmm. and then he says go kill yourselves then people laugh and he's like, no, 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 I'm not joking. I'm, I'm really serious. Just go kill you. And he repeats that several times until they really stop laughing. Um, Bill Hicks is good. Yeah. But yeah, thank you for that. I haven't done many music videos. I feel I haven't done enough. Well, how really, many do you, do you know how many you've done thus far? I don't. In the beginning, I, I directed with a friend of mine, a very good friend of mine from Belgrade that I was in a band with. And, and we have a great energy together and we mm-hmm. did a lot of great stuff, but I felt I couldn't express everything i wanted to and he felt the same so we sort of went our different paths career-wise yeah. we're still very good friends i don't know but i i one two three four five six seven i don't know i, I have to open up my vimeo at, at least, least not, not as at, le- at least not as many as i would hope to have done the way sure i would like them to look and feel right. it's tough it's tough mainly budget wise and it's tough because i've never selected to it's probably my fault. I've never selected to, like, I have to like the music. I have to like the right. track. And to find a track that you like and for it to have a decent budget and for the artist to like what you, your idea is and for your idea even to get to the artist and not be censored or filtered by some commissioner or whoever else is in between, it's tough. Yeah. But, um, but yeah, thank you for the compliments. What was your yeah. favorite one, may I ask? My favorite one, I'm going to... I was just watching it. Um, My favorite is maybe the OK Kaya music video and the song. I, I wanted to talk to you about that because we've interviewed Stuart Weinkoff, um, oh. and I know he he shot that for you. And that was really the re- that music video is the reason that I wanted to talk to Stuart in the first place because it's so um, yeah. silent and interesting and, and sort of slow and like. Just the way that it was shot, I'd love to know sort of like any pre-production on that stuff. Like I mean, how did, that video the... came about because we, I know Kaya, Kaya's a neighbor and a good friend, and and I wanted to, you know, doing these commercials, I, I needed to do something that I like, and mm. there was no pitch. I I literally spent my money on the music video, and I made a questionnaire. Stuart and me met, and we made a questionnaire for Kaya bunch of questions i think Hmm. it was similar to the proust questionnaire just basic questions about the song and what the text is about because she sings in norwegian but initially it was just Stuart and me wanting to work together again because we haven't in a while then he did his first commercial outside of the u.s with me we went to barcelona Hmm. and when i moved to new york we and it's a long long story how we became friends somehow we we sort of clicked and and we did some music videos together a few very low budget ones and then OK Kai was just came from a need f- from our side to do to move as to sort of show where we are aesthetically and in terms of feeling and emotion cinematically and just because we click well together we we felt that we could do something together that would really represent who we are intimately mm-hmm. and that was the initial sort of and I was like hey listen to this track let's do something for Kaya she's a wonderful artist so that music video was really and I like to work like that with cinematographers. It's like a partner, a creative partnership. Right. I really don't like to look at it like oh, he's my cinematographer, and it's really a full-on cooperation from 
from the level from you know what the idea is to the wardrobe everything all together mm-hmm. it's like two filmmakers making something together where one con- focuses on this part and the other focuses on on the other part and it was brilliant and kaya came with us and we scattered locations together and all three of us went and like devised a shot list and it was really the three of us that you know worked on it mm, from the get-go from the start mm-hmm. and and i think I think that's a big part of why it came out the way it did. Right. Can you tell me about the uh, the dance that you guys did yes. at the end? So th- I had this idea that she's like Casper, the friendly ghost. She's there, but she's not there. Right. And and at the time, I was doing some research on these Serbian kola dances. They're called kola dances, and it's basically people stand in a circle, hold hands, and dance together. And people today don't really dance that way. You know, you go right. to a club and everyone's alone or two people dance together. But this is like really full-on people holding hands and dancing in unison. And and I think that, you know, somehow, and I'm not even sure if we knew the lyrics to the track when we were coming up with it, or, or I, I basically had this idea before. Hmm. It wasn't even for Kaya's track. It was for an artist called... Shit, what's his name? Mm. Kanye West or something. No, 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 no. (laughs) Young black kid. Stuart did it. Not Rory. Fuck. Stuart and Duncan did a music video for him where he travels Mm. all around. I can't remember. Um, And so I had this Casper the Friendly Ghost idea, and I was was really inspired by that scene in um, what is the movie? Not Paranoid Park, Columbine, Bowling for Columbine, Elephant, mm-hmm. Elephant. Uh, when they're yeah, all Gus sitting, Vincent, yeah, yeah. Gus Vincent, when they're all sitting in a in a classroom and there's this circling camera and, and it feels very much like one of these um, uh, Alcoholics Anonymous groups, or right. you know, and and something about that felt right. And I had this idea of Casper the Friendly Ghost, and then this whole idea of you know people that are very separate, all in their own heads, in their own problems trying to communicate who they are to others, mm-hmm. trying to make a connection. And then this sort of dance at the end was a way to visually, physically, mechanically portray uh, the making of a connection between people, you know, both spiritually and physically. And and Kaya's just like a, a friendly ghost that assists in that. <laughs> right. I hope that makes sense. Well, it yeah. does emotionally no, when it, you watch the video. Yeah, it does. I mean... I, I like the idea of, I mean, music videos for me have, at least my favorite ones, have always been things that kind of say things without ever saying them and yeah. connecting things that just make you feel something as opposed to, you know, expositional sort of like inserts, Yeah, you know? Yeah. And I, I think that's that's exactly what that yeah. OKK music video does is it just communicates. And like the thing that I also love about that music video is her song just sort of like becomes part of the visual yeah, you know like yeah. the it, it's not like um there's not a, like a battle going on between like oh I, I kind of forgot about the song it's like it's just absolutely one thing yeah, you know yeah was that um was that the intention? i know that's kind of like a <laughs> yeah it's, it's draw, every filmmaker's you know? dream <laughs> right <laughs> what you just said but um it it was it was and we st- I don't know. We structured it accordingly. I can't. I can't tell you where it happened and how it happened, but we just followed followed through with it. Right. And 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 you know, you have all these figures in a circle. And I'm very geometric about my work. You may have noticed, though, you have all yeah. these separate individuals that are in a circle. No one's communicating. There is an attempt of it. And then you have her, and she's around there. And then in some shots you see her, and in some shots you don't. And that was kind of. Um, a difficult thing to predict how it'll work because in some shots you just don't see her and then right. in some shots you do see her so what's the level and how much do you show her and not show her and what shots do you not show her to get this idea across mm. but still not not make it too obvious or too unclear at the same time um and and then and then and then really somehow you know working together with Stuart you know we did have a shot list but then things organically you know a good shot list is a shot list that you can, you know, you write down and then you can forget about it on set because right. you have it down so so well. And then I don't know at what point we, we realized we had the, this dolly and we had some dolly tracks. I was pushing the dolly. We had a zoom lens. It was just, you know. And, and after doing commercials that are big budget, you can't wait to push a dolly or to, to right. do anything <laughs> on set. Um, but if, 
but we 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 sort of came up with this idea of this long zoom dolly that sort of zooms in while dollying around in a circle and mm-hmm. you always try try to find visual ways mechanical ways that'll sort of that feel just like in your gut feel like they completely underline or accent the main idea and some and you know when you both look when we look at each other and say oh that's it you feel it in your gut that's that's what you got to do then then it's all about kind of that feeling at that moment um yeah but you asked me about the dance so the dance (laughs) is inspired by this serbian national dance called the glamočko kolo is that where you're from yeah originally born in serbia or i think it's called the gluvo kolo the the uh, when you can't hear, what do you, what do you, how do you call people who can't hear? Uh, the deaf. deaf yeah. Deaf yeah. People, yeah. It's called the deaf, the deaf, uh, caller. I don't know why, hmm. but it's somehow just by feeling it somehow tied in with the idea that they can't hear each other and they can't sort of, you know, connect. Right. And then Kaya took that dance. I sent her a YouTube link and she took it and she then sort of morphed it a bit and put some more childish elements into it. She wanted it hmm. to be kind of childish and easy. And because none of these people are actually dancers, we needed to sort of simplify it so they can actually do it. Um, yeah. That's so cool. Where did your love for kind of geometric like shapes and symmetry come from? Huh. Good question. I'm a Libra. I'm very compulsive. It's like, you know, in my car, it has to be, if I have like, if the volume on the left speaker is 20 or the air condition is on 20, it has to be on 20 on, or any or <laughs> number on the right side. So I think that the whole thing with geometry, symmetry comes from, first of all, my love for aesthetics. And, mm-hmm. and I studied aesthetics a little bit. Um, I have no idea. Maybe it's my engineering parents. Maybe it's, it's I don't know. But I did come into film not from... Many people come into film from the side of like writing, you know, mm-hmm. and and I literally the first thing I remember I, it was, yeah, cameras. My dad's friend gave me a Olympus Mu two, or in the U.S. it's called a stylus. In the late '90s, it was a thirty-five millimeter point and shoot. And then when I was in junior high in Kansas, um, I I took photography classes over there. I don't know. None of this answers your question. I'm not sure where yeah. where the symmetry comes in. Does it come from skateboarding? The love for geometry? I don't know. Maybe it's all of that combined. I have no idea. Yeah. Well, I, I find my myself striving to be in that same like it, for some reason symmetry just like makes sense to me. Like yeah. Whenever if someone even when I'm just watching movies or commercials or something, I'm I'm always just like I just want to grab the camera, and just go two inches to the right because I'm like you're right there. You yeah. Know? It just yeah. makes sense. Uh, I don't know where it comes from, though, e- either. It's just like a, it's a, I, I do have a little bit of that com- compulsive sort of like things just need to be even, you know? I, I think, I think maybe it's an inner need to sort of um, aestheticize things, to give them some mm-hmm. meaning right. that is outside of, and that's why I say I'm I'm not a writer. You know, they tell me what stories do you do you want to tell. I'm not sure if I have stories to tell, and I don't know if I'm a storyteller, per se. Mm-hmm. Uh, like this, I had this big thing five six years ago. I was looking watching a lot of movies, and I was irritated how the frame is just very close above their heads. You know, mm. all these movies were framing people. I had a big problem with that. I wanted to find a balance between framing the person and the space to sort of give it an equal balance. And then I started compulsively composing all shots where the figures are completely center. Like I couldn't stand the golden mean and composing someone a little bit to the right because I'm like, if I want to show you something, I'm going to put it in the dead middle. And right. in a close-up, that would mean leaving the exactly the same amount of space above the head, meaning from the top of the head to the top screen as below the head, which means a lot more headroom. Mm-hmm. And and thinking on that level sort of made me think, and it's one of the ways in which I try to find a balance between the human being and and the space and the world that we live in. Right. To find a balance between psychology and philosophy, if, if I can be pretentious to say that. <laughs> yeah. I mean, have you ever had sort of issues with cinematographers working in that way? No. No, because this is the, it's like the first thing I would tell them. Oh, just mm. so you know, like, this is what I right. like to do. I'm not going to obsess about my, many other things, but like, 
you know, and then I would, and I really tried to, I've never, I don't think I've had problems with anyone in general. Uh, One of the things that I really insist on and spend a lot, a lot of energy on is just having good positive energy on set Mm. between clients, between agencies, all of the crew and everything is done in a positive way. And I, and I really try to, and succeed in finding a balance where I'm able to get what I need and 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 happily and lovingly from everyone else. And I do, you know, respect everyone else in that sense and give them space to do what what um, what they do well. I hope I do. Yeah. Do you, do you think you could give me, me some practical advice on how to be more positive on set? Even just like some. Is it just sort of your? leadership and attitude or is are you actually doing things like i've heard i've heard some directors like make people wear name tags the first three days or like you know oh, everybody has cheesy. to eat at no. the, you know what i mean what, what I, do you do i i i mean i focus a lot on like breaking the canons and and walls and communication that exist i hmm. try to use my serbian directness but then what i learned in the states is to be positive everyone is like you know like you I played soccer for like my junior high team in Kansas and you like miss a goal and the coach in the States is like, it's okay, good try. <laughs> in right, Serbia, right. He's going to be like, get the fuck off the, off the court, what are you doing? You know? Yeah. So, so I do remember I was shooting one of my first commercials in LA and we were shooting on a big ranch. I think it, maybe it was called Big Sky Ranch or something like that. Mm. And the set designers, the art directors, what do you call them in the States? Production designers. Yeah. Never know what the difference is. They built the set, but like one mile further down the road that they were supposed to, they really fucked up. So I was like, hmm. guys, you completely fucked up, but it's okay. Let's, let's figure it out. And then, you know, you just keep a smile and like, it's okay. You know, we, we fuck up. That's, that's who we are. Who knows why it's good. So I think combining directness and, and everything that people don't want to say out loud, I try to say it, you know, hmm. um, just get it out and talk about it. I think if we don't talk about it, then it's always hidden. And, and all of these hidden, especially in commercials, all of these hidden things that you don't talk about openly and you don't get them in the open, they start to stress you out. And I can't, I don't want to, you know, I want to enjoy what I'm doing. Right. But in terms of giving you helpful advice, I don't know, being fatherly towards the crew, hmm. having a fatherly approach really helps in having and keeping sort of authority while being caring and loving at the same time. So you don't have to be, you know, uh, bitchy or whatever, right. whatever. Uh, trying to help hands-on, you know, if someone doesn't know or whatever or doesn't want to do it and just get up and, and show them how to do it, be hands-on about things. Um, and what else could be good advice in keeping authority or being positive? Your question is being positive. Realizing that mathematically being positive is the only possible and valid option. <laughs> what, do you, what do you mean by that? I mean, in life, like everything that happens, let's say something bad happens. Actually, you know that it's it's an old Chinese story, ancient Chinese story. And I, I think it was in a movie. Someone told me it was in a movie. I'm not sure which one. I was shooting a commercial in China and we lost a location on set. And the client was really nervous. So I went over to the client and they're all Chinese. So I told him, guys, I have a story for you. You know, and it's an ancient Chinese story, which I especially like because they're all Chinese. Basically, it was during the when it was all dynasties. It wasn't China. It was different kingdoms along the Yangtze Kiang River. And in one of these kingdoms in a village, a guy, his horse ran away. And everyone from the village came over to him and they were like, oh, we're so sorry. You have such bad luck. Your horse ran away. And he said, maybe. And uh, five days later, the horse came back with five wild horses. And everyone from the village came over and they were like, wow, you have such good luck. You have now six horses, five wild horses. It's fantastic. And he said, maybe. Uh, A few days go by and his son gets on one of the horses. He wants to tame one of the horses and the horse throws him off and he breaks his leg. And again, everyone from the village comes over and they say, my God, you have such bad luck. Your, Your son just broke his leg. And he said, maybe. And um, a month goes by and the kingdom that they live in entered war with the neighboring kingdom and people from the military came to recruit, recruit young people for battle. But his son broke his leg so he wasn't recruited. So everyone from the village came over and they said, oh, such, such, such luck you have. You know, he doesn't have to go to war. 
And he said, maybe. And this can go on forever. But the basic idea being is that we have no idea. There's no way to calculate things that happen. Are they for actually good reason or a bad reason? It's all about how you look at it and what you use them for, you know? Hmm. Um, so once you know that, then mathematically, it just doesn't make sense to look at things negatively. There's absolutely no point whatsoever. You realize that the only option and solution is to think positively. So then just, you know, get to it. Alcohol does help, though. <laughs> <laughs> and What's cigarettes your, on set. Yeah. I, th- I, th- I think that's incredible advice. I, th- I mean, that's... Um, cigarettes, alcohol, or the... Or the <laughs> no, <laughs> I mean... Do do with what you you know yeah, whatever yeah. that saying is. <laughs> I mean, when I look at my career so far, it was all a continuous chain of failures. Like mm. everything was, it was like one failure at a time. But when I look at everything I've did, I can say, oh, I'm I'm happy, I'm successful. I I think I've done many things that were like my dreams and I couldn't I couldn't dream of. Um, but when I look at it like mathematically, it was like failure after failure after failure. Mm-hmm. And and you know that can get to you, but you need to. I think in life it's important to look at life. Who was it that said that? Maybe it was Alan Watts, and we all listen to Alan Watts when we're looking for voiceover for director's cuts. But right. uh, I think he said that you know, I he. There's you know life is very serious. It's very serious and dramatic, and it can be painful, and it can be, you know, it's a serious thing. But at right. the same time, it's to reference Bill Hicks again. It's just a ride, you know, and and it's kind of funny and idiotic at the same time. So I think you can't look at it completely seriously, and you can't look at it completely, you know, jokingly. You have to see life both ways at the same time, and those mm-hmm. are the 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 people I enjoy making friends with and working with and reading about and, and looking at their work or being you know just hanging out with people that get it. And some right. people get it. Some people, you know, you see that when you meet them, you see in their eyes, this person's got it. He, he knows what it's all about. It's all a joke, but it's not a joke. It's very serious at the same time. I mean, I'm trying to take in everything you're saying because you're saying so many good things. I'm like, that's good. Hold on. And then you're going to another good thing. So I'm like, I'm, I'm collecting all your sound bites. Thank you. <laughs> um, I think, well, because you're trying to find someone sort of with that same intenseness about what they the intentions behind what they're doing do you find yourself not working with too many people no i think i don't find myself working with many people for other reasons but no i I actually find quite a lot of people that that you know either get the world in this way or are able to understand it or i can help inspire to see things in this way or i can Mm. you know um but with some people, just I don't know, was it chance? Was it destiny? I connected, and then I, you know, and then I really become friends with the people that I work with. And then it's difficult for me to try new people because I kind of want to hang out with the people that I like. And one of the right. beauties of this job, let's call it a job or this profession, is that it's not like I don't go to an office every day, and I'm am able to stay in touch with my friends and 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 travel with them and spend you know a week with someone that I didn't see for a whole year right. and it's a beautiful thing. And then you kind of don't want to call you someone, you know, once you've been to a cool place, let's say you've traveled to wherever Morocco and you love it there, you want to go there again and it's hard for you to decide to go somewhere else because right. you just had such a good time and you want to relive, relive that. And as long as the people that you are with still challenge you and, 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 uh, your work and your cooperation and friendship and partnership and everything you do makes you both move further together separately and then each in their own, on their own paths and career and in, in terms of what you're doing on that specific project, then it's wonderful. I think yeah. I was just recently working with Stuart and we were trying to retrace everything that happened after we shot that Kaya music video. We shot a commercial <laughs> in Croatia together, T-Mobile, and then we were literally like, what has happened to our careers based on this thing we did, this thing we did, this thing we did. And we were talking about how we had no idea that, you know, when you're doing those films or music videos or even commercials, you, I couldn't fathom that, you know, so many people saw that or it had an influence on them. And right. it, it's kind of cool. It's kind of very cool when you're like, I don't know, go to Japan and someone tells you they saw this and this from you and you're like, shit, I'm okay. I'm good. This is nice. It feels right. good. It feels really good. Yeah. 
What does your writing process look like? If I had a writing process, that would be amazing. <laughs> um, I wish I had a writing process. What is your ideal uh, writing process then? I don't, I don't see. Or what do you, see, you know, that, like you're, okay, you're so that's my problem. Something. My problem is writing process. I'm a filmmaker, so I don't really write, you know? Right. And that's something that I've been struggling with for years. I've been trying to fit into, let's say, when we talk about films or short films, I've been trying to fit into this model of what a film screenplay is supposed to look like and what the right. process is and you have like uh, antagonist and protagonist and this has to happen it has to be formatted in this way and one page is one minute and all of this mm-hmm. and and I and I thought I had a problem but now recently I realized I don't I don't have to fit into that you know um, I'm not comparing myself to Michelangelo Antonioni but if you take a look at his script for blow up it's one page and it's based right. on a short story by Cortazar um, so when I was making this short film, Your Dead America, it was basically, it was like a visual diary. You, I first just sort of had very, I had a very strong sense of the feeling that I wanted to make and of, of like the light. And it's like, I don't know, in the nineties, when you would load photographs on the internet, first you have just like this mega big pixels and you have no idea what's right, on the right. photo, but you get a sense that it's dark and you, and then it goes round by round and it's more and more clear. Um, and then you sort of, you know, so it's like having a puzzle that's not made out of, it's like big pieces that are turning into smaller and more precise pieces. You know, I have an idea of the whole thing. I usually make a soundtrack for whatever I'm doing, whether it's a commercial or short film. Mm. I immediately start with music. And then music, and I I used to compose electronic music and I had a band and now I have another band music project with a friend back in Serbia. Uh, music is essential to me. Because hmm. it is, you know, I've, I've been making music, even though I'm, I didn't, I was never schooled for music. I did right. it all myself. But music as, as structure through time, as something where tempo rhythm is key, is something that for me in film is key. And that's why I would rather talk about music than actually writing, you know, hmm. because all the elements that music has. Writing has it as well, and for me, the key element in writing a script are all the musical elements to it. For me, script is about finding rhythm, finding balance, finding those instruments that are going to jive and jazz and play play together. So let's call it writing, but I think it's 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 a much wider process for me than that. Do I have a ideal process in it? I don't. Right. I don't. Uh, uh, Your Dead America, for example, which is one of my favorite things, was completely based on dreams that I had, hmm. and 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 I just living in the states for the last couple of years, I have this problem with people with political correctness and all these, just people are growing further and far, farther and farther apart because they're afraid to talk to each other honestly about things, and when they get into conversations, they fall into these rational discourses. It's like it's like. Uh, um, uh, speech club. What, what's it called when they debate they, club? Yeah, debate. Yeah, it's like debate and, and debate. It's it's all shit. So my idea was: is it possible to create a discourse which is compu- completely emotional, has nothing rational about it? And 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 that's why I constructed it based on like these dreams that I had. That hmm. and there's elements of racism and and nation and but I just wanted to imagine America a few years from now in this very apocalyptic setting like further down the line and just try to transcribe visually the pain of specific characters without telling who they are, what they are, how, how it came about. But just to like, is that expressionism? I have no idea, Yeah. but to try to transcribe it in a non-rational discourse. And I think to some extent, maybe we succeeded because I played it to some people that I know over like are over uh, Republican or libertarian or democratic right. uh, sort of outlook, and they all saw the film and they were like, "My God, we are fucking up, aren't we?" You know. <laughs> so okay, so I got people to agree at least on this level of just pure emotion that things are not okay, and maybe we need to start looking at things in a sort of from a different perspective. I don't know. I was going to ask you because when I was watching this uh, earlier, it kind of reminded me a little bit of Yordawarski. I was just wondering if you like pull. If if you pull from him for anything or, or no, not. I have actually never seen any of his. I know of him, and I watched that documentary where he's trying to make Dune, um, <laughs> and I don't I don't think I'm able to. Uh, to me, it feels 
and no disrespect, but it feels like one of those movies that when I go to a party somewhere deep in New York and a bunch of people are in mushrooms, yeah, it's, like just playing. it's playing in the background. <laughs> <laughs> I don't that's, think... Oh my God, that's the best. But it is. And, yeah. and, and I don't think I would have the patience to... You know, I like very commercial film. What I like to watch and what I like to make is kind of very different for me. I love watching Meg Ryan in, in romantic right, comedies. Right. I like Ferris Bueller's Day Off and Romancing the Stone and, you know, Big Lebowski. Uh, Tarkovsky, I love him. I'm mm-hmm. jealous of him, actually. I don't love him. I'm jealous of him. I can't stand him in that sense because I feel like that, the emotion and, and the visual language that he uses is something that I wanted to do, <laughs> not him, <laughs> you know? Right. And And in that sense, it's inspiring, but then... I watch all these things and then I get irritated that they've been made and then I don't want to watch them anymore. Hmm. You know? So I well, try. Can you give me an example? Uh, yeah, I can give you an example. When they asked Orson Welles what kind of movies does he like to watch, he said, Movies? I don't watch movies. I go to the theater. Hmm. Uh, so I think these days, there's so many, you know, I open up Instagram and look at my colleagues and they all win awards and they're all posting frames from the work and, and, right. and I just get depressed about it. And, and, and I become a hater. Not just because I'm Serbian, um, and and then you know, but I played like Ferris Bueller's Day Off, even though it's a remarkably well directed film, remarkable. Mm-hmm. Um, but I I tried to watch movies for my pure joy of it, unless they're older movies. But anything that's been recently made and like in the last and recently, I think like twenty thirty years, it's distur- it disturbs me in, in my clarity. And that's not only mo- movies; it's like going to Instagram and watching what other people post instead of like nurturing my own images, my images are then inspired by the average medium, uh, mathematical medium of all images that I'm exposed to. To give you an example, um, was that an example? Yes, that was a great example. Good. Um, I was going to ask, what do you do when you're not directing in your downtime to sort of either learn or continue to, to hone something? Okay, so now I've been on a binge listening. I've been binge listening to uh, Radio Lab. Okay, yeah. <laughs> I finished everything yesterday, and I gave them ninety bucks, and they sent me a terrible T-shirt. Um, <laughs> um, uh, so I do that. I I always have a music project. I have a music project with a friend, and mm-hmm. it's we we're wa- waiting for the Behringer uh, remake of the uh, of the famous drum machine by who was it roland um we have a casio synth we have a guitar and we're making music and i'm singing and it's like for me still music is the most direct way of expression because it's just happening in the minute in the moment uh in filmmaking it's like bits and pieces throughout a long period of time there's moments Mm -hmm. here there's moments there there's moments on set but it's in many moments it's passive and it doesn't give you that instantaneous ability to express um, music is in that sense important. Um, photography always, cause I can do it on a daily level and I'm hyperactive, uh, listen to music. And most recently it's like free jazz, free jazz. <laughs> mostly my girlfriend introduced me to the music of Don Cherry, uh, the father of Nene Cherry and the almost forgotten Eagle Eye Cherry. His music <laughs> is brilliant. New York jazz. I think it's, the trumpet that he plays is like a cornet. It's a miniature trumpet. Brilliant music. Hmm. So you, you talked a little bit about music already, but where do you, um, what, what's going on? Like, what, is that something you came from before film or is it something that you just kind of do as well? well? Spontaneously. Cause I wanted, I had a, a bunch of friends who were all jazz musicians and I wanted to play drums and, and I tried to get into the middle jazz. We have like a middle jazz school in Serbia, but I didn't get in there because I wasn't good at drums. And this was a long time ago. And back then I had other friends who were making music on their Amigas and, and they showed me this PC software at the time it was called impulse tracker. It's basically, Mm -hmm. it works in MS DOS. It wasn't even windows based. And it, it was impulse tracker was the first software that uh, could use samples that were over 1.4 megabytes. And basically you would have to type all your like effects and like, it's all like word based. And so I made, started making music and you know, when you work in a program that is like that basic and rudimentary, you really get to the core of what, what is structure and what is the essence Mm -hmm. and how do you build structure? It's not one of those user-friendly programs that you, 
you know, but even now when you make music in Ableton Pro Tools, you know, just seeing a timeline is already like half a film school and understanding how a timeline right. works, you know. So that's how I got into music. And then I continued making electronic music throughout high school. And then film, I didn't know I was going to be in film, but I didn't know what I was going to study. And my friend uh, applied at our film school to be a producer. And I thought maybe I should be a producer because it's like mm. a good combination of art and something that you can profit from. And I didn't get in. And then, um, and then my sister was living in Chicago and she told me that there is this school over there called Columbia College and maybe you know I could learn about film over there. So I went over there. And as opposed to like European film schools, it's very easy to get into. If you pay money, you're there. Right. So, so that, was, that was how I got into film. So walk me through a little bit of the first thing that you got paid to do and then from there to like getting signed. How did that happen? So I'll try to be quick about it. So, well, can I, I ask real quick just to get context? Yeah. Of you, so you're not at Stink anymore. No. Um, but did you go somewhere else or you just left? No, no, I just left. Things were, you know what I realized? I realized that all my life I'm moving and starting from scratch and that's my system. I think psychotherapy helped me realize that. But, um, you know, as a kid, I went to from from Serbia or what was called Yugoslavia. I went with my parents to California and I went to first grade of elementary school there and made friends and made, you know, I was there for a year. And then from there, I went back to Serbia and started from first grade of elementary school again. Then in seventh grade, my parents went to teach in Kansas. They're engineers. And so I had to make friends again and start from scratch. Then I went back to high school in Serbia. Then I went to study film for a year in Chicago. Then I went back to Serbia. Then six years ago, I came to New York, started from nothing. And I realized that's, it's kind of my process. <laughs> that whenever I reach a certain point that everything is okay, I need to like move on. And I think whenever I feel security and, and comfort... I stopped developing creatively and things are okay. And, you know, that's, yeah. it was, it was one of the things that I talked to them about. And it's, and it's difficult to explain that you're leaving because everything is okay. Um, but, yeah. you know, it is, it is true. Everything is okay. And I feel I've reached a point where I, I need to like kind of destroy it and start, start something again. And, and, and I do think that for, to be creative, you need to feel insecure. You need to be unstable. Hmm. You need to be able to roam around, and you need to be shaken up by something. You know, there there is a reason why some of the best. Um, let's stick to filmmaking specifically. Why some of the best film movements came at times that were unstable or in places that were unstable, from right. the Black Wave in East Europe to German Expressionism after First World War, and so on and so on. There is, you know, there is a reason, and this instability. Um, urges you and helps you create and and develop as an artist or as a human being. And and so that's a reason. But when you say that as a reason to someone from the Western world, they kind of look at you and they're like, yeah. right. Right. <laughs> you're not quite sane, but actually you are, you know? Mm. That's the context. Does that make sense? Yeah. So, so bring me through how you got there, though. Uh-huh. So, okay, so... Uh, Chicago, one year I studied camera and f- directing, and then I moved back to Serbia and I transferred from the from Columbia College to the Serbian Film School, where I studied directing, but I was, you know, it's, if you learn how to make a film in Serbia, you can make a film anywhere because it's all so fucked up. Um, but um, I had, I, had, I met a, a friend who studied uh, theater production. He told me a story about this guy who in 1979, he stole a white Porsche. And this is a true story. <laughs> 1979, during the communist times, these, this guy stole a white Porsche that belonged to this Serbian tennis player who just came to visit from Germany where he was living. And our dictator Tito was in Cuba at the time meeting with the non-aligned movement and with Castro and all these like North Korean president and whoever else. And this guy started driving this Porsche around the city making fun of the police and this became like a big thing and this was like 1979 the driver with Ryan O'Neill came out and and all of a sudden you have this like guy who's like driving a Porsche doing spectacular things while the Serbian police and these Yugo cars are trying to catch him and it's hilarious so in a matter of days and there's nothing happening you know not not many things are happening in in a Eastern European capital that there's like 2,000 people in the streets of Belgrade cheering for mm-hmm. him 
And so we decided to make a film about that. Oof, I took the long way. So anyway, that was my graduation <laughs> movie. It was a feature film we shot on 35 and we raised like 750,000 euros. And I would need a whole nother hour to tell you the right. story of how we raised this money. Anyway, we raised a bunch of money, much more than we expected. Uh, we made a co-production with Kodak and, 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 and somehow we, we figured out, shit, we have to shoot a film. We got a lot of money and we did it. We shot a car chase movie for, that happens in the 70s. And, but we didn't calculate the budget properly and we needed to sort of fill in the gap of all this post that needed to be, to right. be done, like CGI erasing things so it looks like in the, it's in the 70s. And me and my company partner and I have a production house in Belgrade that does like service production. At the time, we were like, how do we pay this off? And he was like, well, I heard commercials. You can earn some money there. <laughs> and so, so we started doing commercials and we had some connections and friends that were working for big advertising agencies and... Little by little, we got to, because we were new, we were young, you know, not many people were doing commercials. Then in Serbia, we, we got to do commercials on film for this big client that came, for, came in from Norway, Telenor. And that sort of started it off. And I was like, wow, commercials are cool. It's good money. You get to shoot on film. It's spectacular. But the creative is very shitty over there. And so I thought maybe advertising is not for me. And... But then little by little, like I got to travel to Croatia, I got to move from Serbia and I saw that there's, you know, it doesn't have to be like that. Advertising doesn't have right. to look like that. And having a company in Serbia gave me the financial stability to be able to travel around and build a showreel. Hmm. And so I found an agent in Austria after emailing her for like six months and she sent me to do some jobs in like East Europe or in Russia and it's even worse over there in advertising. Um, and then I came to New York. I had a new, an American passport. I was coming to New York and I would like, I heard a good band. It was, um, it was a brilliant band called Boy Crisis. Uh, their, their, their very good friend is Ray Tintori. I don't know if you know Ray Tintori, mm -hmm. the, the director. He did the, he did the first MGMT music videos. Okay. I think yeah, yeah, Time yeah. to Pretend and all the cool ones. And so it's this group of people and I met them and I, and I was like, oh, I want to meet these guys. So I went backstage and introduced myself as a filmmaker and asked them if, if they would be up for me doing a music video. And so my friend Joel, who I was doing the music videos at the time with, we, we came to New York and we gave our money and we shot like a lo-fi music video that we organized in New York. We found a friend who got us into Ace Hotel. We got a whole mm. floor in Ace Hotel. I don't know how without money. <laughs> we would got to go to B&H and buy equipment. And B&H is fantastic because you can return everything after 16 mm -hmm. days. So we bought like a mini Steadicam. We got a Canon 5D. We bought lenses. We bought all this stuff. And we shot the music video and then you return it. That's the brilliant thing about B&H yeah. and us Serbians knowing where, what we can do. And like, so <clears throat> we shot the music video, but, um, uh, I was, I don't know if you know the rap band Das Racist, one of the yeah. rappers from Das Racist was Victor and he was, he was in this band as well. Anyway, they, they, they disappeared as a band. They, they, they made an album. It never came out. I don't know what happened. It's a beautiful album. So we never finished the music video. And then after a year and Joel and my friend, he's really good with post. He was like fooling around with some things he can do in after effects that were very like lo-fi effects. And we we're like, this is really cool. Let's, let's finish that music video. And so we did, and we put it up on Vimeo, and it and it won, won one of those Vimeo staff right. things. And then that it was kind of a big deal to get one of those. It was like eighty thousand viewers in one day. <laughs> and that's when someone wrote to me from LA, a small production company I started working with, and got like a first pay job, which was for the Wyoming Department of Health. And I hope to God, you'd, wow, it's okay, <laughs> but I still hope maybe you won't see it. Um, and 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 then from there, when I came to New York and through Duncan met Stewart, they had a, they had started a company called All Expanded, yeah. And so we started cooperating. And at the time, they were not sure whether they're directors or a company. Mm -hmm. So when they got they started being represented by OB Management in London for music videos, m me and my friend found ourselves on that on their website, and they were representing us as well because they weren't sure if All Expanded is a directing collective or, you know, so they put us up on the website as well. And then, so that's, you know, we started doing music videos and that was sort of one OB management at one point um, uh, represented Stink and that was sort of a way to for me to introduce them. And then on the other side, a very good friend of mine, Clayton Vomero, who is now a director with Some Such in mm -hmm. London, uh, he was making a short film called Gang, and I was like, "You should, you should meet my friend Stuart. I think he would be great to shoot this film." 
and 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 they did shoot the film together and it looks wonderful and and one of the producers of that film Stine from Denmark she was good with someone at Stink here in 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 New York so you know she sort of introduced me to them here um that's how it happened and that's a short version of the story right. so I, i have to ask what 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 have you learned from from the the process and and getting signed to a, a large kind of agency like that and kind of tell me a, a little bit about why you're leaving i mean i'm leaving for the reasons that i told you right. i feel like i feel i've I've come to a point where I, I I need to remove myself from commercials and from and from that setting and to start from scratch, yeah. and 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 basically that's it, and I think it's it's a more valid reason than any other yeah. because you know film directors are whatever company you're going to be represented by you will be happy and unhappy and you'll be jealous of your colleagues doing something and you'll be thinking that they're getting better jobs and. You know, but you always learn and realize one thing that you know, good scripts, they don't come as being good. And if you want yeah. to make something good, you have to like make it good. Yeah. And it's just the question of how shitty will it be? And sometimes there's a good script, but it's just mathematically again, you know, if something is being written and made by many people, there are many compromises in it. And necessarily mm -hmm. it cannot be it cannot be something that's risky and it cannot be something that's daring and it can be not be something that's you know creative you, you can't it just doesn't work so it's it's always up to you to make right. it out of something but i think the key is to find people within that setting or company that you know get who you are and how you work and and you know that you can communicate openly and directly with and, and i had a wonderful wonderful time with 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 mo many of the people at stink and i really enjoyed it in that sense but just because of that And just because of, you know, it's become nice and good and I, you know, it's become cozy, I, I needed to move on. Yeah. So what are you doing now? What's the what's next? Right now I'm recording music with my friend and and um, and I just made a soundtrack for what I'm going to start writing for a feature film script. And I'm finally finish, finishing the mix for Juvenile. I made a short film in a Serbian juvenile prison and now I'm finishing the feature length version of it. I lived with kids in a Serbian juvenile prison for like a year. Hmm. And now I'm, I'm, yeah, I'm mixing the sound for the feature length version of that film. That sounds amazing. Um, dude, thank you so much for coming on. It means a lot. And You're I, welcome. I hope you had a good time. And <laughs> Absolutely. Um, I can talk more. We can make part two and three. Just call yeah, me. Yeah, let's do it, man. Thanks, everybody, for joining us this week on Good. And as always, much love from your hosts, myself, Jared Hogan, and Christian Schultz as well. And a big shout out to Christian Stropko, or we call him around here, Christian number two for editing and mixing this episode. And also Eames for a podcast theme song. You can check out him and more at musicbed.com for all your music licensing needs, as well as filmsupply.com for all of your footage licensing needs. We, uh, we love you, all of you, and can't